Sacred Space. Okay, welcome back again to part two uh, of the program here. I just want to join in the studio here by Anne, uh, Lorraine and Shane is on the other end of the Skype line. And uh, as mentioned early on at the, at the introduction to the, to the program, we're going to actually chat about um, Mother Teresa and the can- upcoming canonization, which is taking place next Sunday. And uh, maybe at this stage, uh, Shane, would you like to say a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, as people know, of course, we have the canonization coming up. It's on the 4th of September uh, in Rome, and it is going to be one of the highlights of the Jubilee of Mercy, which is the, the canonization of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, otherwise sometimes known as the Saint of Mercy, sometimes known as this, uh, the, um, the Saint of the Gutters. Now, before we start, though, we're going to play a small clip of an interview that was had with Mother Teresa of Calcutta on RT. So, John, if you play the clip, and then we'll come back after that. When I was hungry, you gave me to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. Mother Teresa, these are words which we would all agree with. But the difference between us and you is that we don't put them into action. We don't do anything about them, even though we might want to do it. We still don't. Now, all of these words don't, to me, to you, just don't mean food and drink and clothes. They mean love. When did it all start for you? When did you start to put these words into action? Since 1940, 46, actually doing this close contact with the poorest of the poor. But before that, it was a vocation. Time I was 12 years old. 12. Calling to be to belong to Jesus. Now, at that time, you were in Skopje in yes. Yugoslavia, where you were born. With my own people. Was it difficult to leave your people? It was. That was the sacrifice that Christ asked of us. No, that uh, because we were a very happy and very united family. But um, God asked for the sacrifice from my people and from me. And, uh, were you a religious family? Had you been brought up to believe, as you do now, that everything was for God? Yes, I think my mother was a very holy uh, woman, and so she imparted that love for God and love for the neighbor very much into all her children's hearts. Now, when you got the calling and when you realized that you had to give up everything, what did you do then? How did you go about it? I mean, 12 was very young. Well, I didn't leave home till I was 18. And uh, then I got in contact with some of our missionaries in India, and through them, I got in contact with the Loretta nuns. And then, 46 years ago, I came to Radfarnham. And uh, from there, uh, I went to India in 1929. And finished my novitiate and vows. And I was with the Loretta nuns for 20 years in India. Can I just go back a little bit to Rathfarnham? Because in Ireland, you yes. know, we are a little bit interested in your time in Rathfarnham. How much do you remember? of that time? Well, I remember yesterday when I went to Ratvarnam after 46 years, I saw the places where I had been as a young postulant, and I remember the, uh, the community room and the chapel and the refugee. So that brought back all those uh, happenings that were happening at that time. Now, when you were there, had you that longing? Did it start there for your vocation, as you call it, a vocation within a vocation? Uh, no, it was not at that time. It was 20 years after when I was in India. When you'd gone back to India? Yes. And I, was, uh, I left Radfarnam only after six, 
six weeks and I went to India in nine. I joined in October and then uh, in January I w- went to India yeah. to do the novitiate there. Now you were a teacher, mother. Yeah. Were you a good teacher? I couldn't tell you. I think you'll have to <laughs> ask those who, whom I taught. Did you enjoy teaching? But I loved teaching. I loved teaching. Now back in India 20 years later, when you got the feeling that you had to do something else, you had to go out to the poor. Yeah. How did you go about that? Because you had taken your final vows and it must have been difficult for you to give up the final vows uh, such was it? I didn't have to give up anything because it vocation is uh, belonging to Christ and uh, the work is only a means to put our love for Christ into action and so I had only to change uh, so to say the way of uh, work the means I had to change to work for the poorest of the poor. So my vocation was a continuation of belonging to Christ and being only His. So you left the Loretta, uh, but you kept with you all these vows, the spiritual feelings. Yes, and then when we had our own, uh, I left Loretta in 48 and uh, in 1950, the Holy Father uh, approved of the new congregation of the missionaries of charity. And then in the new congregation, I took the vows of the new congregation of love, poverty, chastity, obedience, and charity. When you talk, Mother, of the new congregation, did you start this congregation the second you left? It it, it went with you. You became a missionary of charity instead of being a Loretta. Yes, the the approval came from Rome in 1950 on the 7th of October. And uh, since then, the little congregation, first it became a diocesan congregation. And after 15 years, it became a pontifical. Now we are a pontifical congregation with 850 sisters. In as it. many as that? Yes. And do you find it easy to get sisters? Because vocations have gone down for other orders. God has been very wonderful to us. We have uh, 182 novices in our three novitiates, one in Rome and one in Calcutta and one in Melbourne. And I had news the other day from Calcutta to say that 109 aspirants have joined last June. So that was um, an interview, a listing there to Mother Teresa herself. That was an interview from nineteen to her 1974 visit to Ireland. And she appeared on Irish television. And those of a certain vintage will probably remember. Um, those of us of another vintage weren't even around. Um, it's an interview with Nolik McCarthy from the programme This Week. And it was originally broadcast on the 15th of September in 1974. And in it, Mother Teresa was telling us about her early life in uh, Skopje in Macedonia, which was at that time was in the former Yugoslavia, or in the Yugoslavia as it was then, and how she had entered the novitiate of the Loretta sisters in Ratfarnham before going to uh, India to take up uh, her posting there and uh, the, what, it, what it was. And she was just getting to the stage of the interview show where she was talking about leaving the Loretta congregation after 15 or 20 years to, go, to answer what has been called uh, her call within a call. But it's an interesting one, of course, because if we go back to the beginning, um, Mother Teresa, of course, is, you know, she's, many people will have memories of her and of this small, you know, uh, wiry, little woman dressed in Indian sari. And 
just you know uh, she was very forceful in many ways and she it's hard to believe she died in 1997 you know and it's it's if you think about it and of course at the time she died it was around the same time as princess diana had died and there was a whole connection between them as well and many people were you know uh, and the friendship that was there between the two of them but of course she was an unusual woman in many respects and she uh, she started and she taught for 15 years with the Loretto's before in 1946 on a train to Darjeeling. Uh, she was she said she what she always said was she heard this call within a call, you know, to give up Loretto and to go out onto the streets of Calcutta to assist um, the poor. And of course, you know, at the time, there would have been lots of technicalities and impracticalities. You know, some were there in terms of just people didn't want her to do this kind of work. Others was just the practicalities of what did she know about going out and ministering to the poor? Or how was she going to survive and things like that? But eventually um, she was released from her community in 1948 and she began to live on the streets of Calcutta and gradually began to build up. Uh, the relationship with the poor and the poor people that she was living amongst, the community that she was living amongst. And slowly but surely, people began to join her in her work, you know, in terms of um, responding to the needs of the poor, seeing where they were and what the, showing them compassion and charity and love, I suppose, out of that whole innate response uh, to to the call that she had, that she felt she had from from God herself. I John, is- I suppose you know, from your perspective, or, or, or Lorraine, what are the things that you would kind of associate with Mother Teresa? Well, just reading about her today, I what I loved was she started with what she knew. Like she was a mm. teacher by profession, she had taught in the Loreto. So the first thing she started to do was teaching the children of the slums. You know, when you're wondering what to do yourself. Well, use the gifts and the talents that God has given you. Like, do the little bit you can, whether it whether it is teaching or whatever it might be. Um, and I think her authenticity of life really struck me as well. You know, she knew she had to live among the poor in order to be of service to the poor. She could have stayed in her convent and come out and gone back in in the evening to, you know, a safe environment or a secure Um, environment but she didn't she chose to give her life entirely to the poor and what I also love is she had that profound moment of the call within the call but then I've been reading her autobiography uh, Come Be My Light and you know she had a, a spiritual darkness for effectively the rest of her life after that call within a call so she was expected to trust that she heard the Lord at that time and that grace if you like was meant to carry her throughout the rest of her life Lorraine just just on that point I suppose you know spiritual darkness we, we hear this expression you know dark mm. night of the soul that's thrown around I suppose some people mightn't be aware what exactly does that mean it's a kind of an emptying of oneself I suppose the best way to describe it is you know Jesus on the cross and mm. he cries out my God my God why have you forsaken me now Jesus was God as we know he's God um, so it's just that sense of an emptiness or a kind of a, a darkness, a not quite being sure whether God is happy with you even or whether God loves you or whether God loves the, you know, what you're doing in your life. And effectively, the way it's been described in spiritual writing is that you're coming so close to God that God's love is almost blinding you. Do you know what I mean? That mm. if you were looking into a very bright light, 
you'd close your eyes out of, you know, to protect yourself. And it's that the spiritual darkness doesn't come from sin or from being lax in one's kind of prayer life or one's attention to one's relationship with Christ. It's actually a grace that God gives you in order to kind of wean you off um, spiritual highs or, or emotions and to depend on him alone. Mm. And just it's it's amazing when you think about it because of course this whole understanding of Mother Teresa as if you like dark night of the soul mm-hmm. and the, the expression that dark night of the soul comes from uh, the the mystic uh, John of the Cross the Spanish mystic the Carmelite but it's this it came out um, after her beatification and the papers were published for her position uh, position and it, this whole business like you said that after that call within the call. Just this sense that, you know, this great woman that's seen and is going to be canonized the saint of the church had this sense of loss of communion with God, if you like, because exactly. she went through this, 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 this dark, this dark night of the soul. John, what about yourself? Well, Shane, uh, you know, from, from memory, uh, my early days in terms of somebody like Mother Teresa going out to do something completely contrary to what the rest of the world would expect you know going out to the slums um she was she was an educated lady yet she still went out to where the people needed someone like that to dedicate themselves totally to her and because she had this uh, because she had this yearning and maybe this call certainly this call from the lord to go out and help somebody she was strong enough to be able to ask her own superiors to leave an order that she was pretty comfortable with and so on and so forth maybe maybe the rest of the uh, 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 of the hierarchy um weren't too happy with maybe what she was thinking but she was strong enough to be able to go out and pursue it even as far as going to the pope to ask could she be released and set off her her own order and I must admire that, and I think maybe it's something for us all to follow. That if we listen to. Actually, in that whole part of the story, there actually was. And the unofficial patron or blog of the pa- or radio program, of course, Mary McKillop. Yeah, that's right. You know, in terms of great women, strong women, and having kind of to fight to answer the need and the call and the charism that they see at that time. And I think the whole idea, like, like, like that, it is if it comes from the Lord, it'll work. We don't mm. know how it's going to work, but we really just put our hands totally in in the Lord's hands. And, and, and you see what happened after that. I mean, she went off and she'd done the work. And then the, the so-called royalty and educated people of the world just stood in awe and maybe embarrassment whenever they met her. Because they saw what good she was doing for mankind with nothing but prayer and faith in the Lord. Yeah, and it's it's it's, of course... She started her work in, in, in the slums in India, in Calcutta, in 1946. And for the next, I suppose you could say, 50 years, uh, you know, she was working, helping the poor, I suppose, being a presence to the poor more than anything else. And, of course, she founded her congregation, which is, of course, the Missionaries of Charity. They're the sisters that we know. Famously dressed in that white sari with the blue trim. Maybe they may or may not have a navy cardigan, depending if it's cold, mm-hmm. uh, and a cross. And it, they, they live a very simple, austere life almost. Uh, in some ways, the, the life of a missionary of charity is very bleak, I suppose, in terms of the basics of life. And they go, I suppose, where they where there's a need, where there's a, where there are where the poor are in terms of, you know, so that they can be as as Mother Teresa described herself. God's pencil, a tiny bit of pencil with which, with yeah. which he writes mm. what mm. he likes. 
And it's, it's you know, they operate centers for the dying, which is the, one of the most famous things that she had in, in Calcutta itself, where people could be picked up off the street and brought somewhere where they could die with dignity. Um, homes for the dying, refugee, refugees for the care and teaching of orphans and abandoned children, and uh, treatment for leprosy, because, of course, it's still, the Hansen's disease is still a huge problem around the world, in parts of the world. And, uh, you know, these are the areas of mission that the missionaries of charity uh, still work in to this day. Of course, recently, Lorraine, we have the whole issue of the missionary of charity, the four sisters that were killed, martyred in Yemen mm. um, because they were Christian, basically. Oh, it's unbelievable. And it really is. And you said like that they live a very austere life, perhaps mm. to somebody who's looking outside. And I'm just reading a little bit of uh, one of a letter that Mother Teresa wrote to her spiritual family. It was dated 1993, so it's four years before she died. And uh, she wrote at the top, I thirst and I quench. And she mm. gives a little explanation of what she means by that. And she says, why does Jesus say I thirst? Because that to her was her call within a call responding to Jesus's I thirst she says what does it mean something so hard to explain in words and she's talking to her sisters so she goes on if you remember anything from mother's letter remember this I thirst is something much deeper than Jesus just saying I love you until you know deep inside that Jesus thirsts for you you can't begin to know who he wants to be for you or who he wants you to be for him the heart and soul of the missionary of charity is only this the thirst of Jesus's heart hidden in the poor. This is the source of every part of the missionary of charity life. And really that's the the, the core or the centre of everything. Like I believe that the missionaries of charity start every morning with Eucharistic adoration and with the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very much uh, the, 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 work, the work of missionary charity, I understand, goes from Eucharist to practical practical action mm-hmm. and it's you know it's interesting you know that the, the in the beginning um you know the she the, as you said lorraine she was teaching the, the, the youngsters on the street and then one day she was visiting their children's children's homes and working through the slums and she passed a woman that was dying on the street and people were just literally walking over her mm-hmm. and ignoring her and literally mother Teresa picked her up and carried her to a hospital and refused to leave the hospital until such time as they took her in and you know that she could die off the streets and away from, you know, the, the rats literally were eating her as she lay dying. And so out of that, I suppose, was was formed the the the, the, the homes of the dying, uh, in particular in, in Calcutta. But I suppose as well as that, it's also interesting you know, just to look at Mother Teresa from the point of view of, um, you know, determination. And mm-hmm. in it, like she, she was head of her congregation literally up to about two years before she died. And at that stage, she only um, kind of gave up leadership, the leadership role under obedience to Pope John Paul II, because her, her doctors had requested that she would step back and relieve some of the stress on her heart. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, she had five heart attacks in the year before she died. And ultimately, it was a, a heart attack that took her away, um, you know probably caused you know and aggravated by the exhaustion of her work but of course as we're approaching a canonization in 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 the in the in the catholic church i suppose we should we should kind of look at what does canonization actually mean and i suppose the great expression that's there is god creates the saints the church only recognizes them exactly and that's what a canonization is it is a formal infallible declaration by the church um that 
this woman is a saint in heaven, basically. That's, and there's, it's gone through a very rigorous process of testing in terms of documentation, her teachings, her writings, uh, witnesses of her life. And then, you know, the, the final two tests is there's a, there's a requirement for a miracle, generally a, um, a healing of some kind for beatification. And then there's a second miracle required for canonization, just almost to, to, to copper fasten the, the whole process. So on the 4th of September, there is going to be a, a, a celebration. They're expecting it to be one of some of the biggest crowds that have in Rome for the Jubilee year. I think it was around 300,000 that attended her beatification. And of course, her whole process, the whole process of her canonization has been very fast. And we have to be aware, I suppose, that we have to be conscious that there is criticisms of that, that, mm. you know, before the process was reformed, you, you you had to be dead 50 years before your cause could be opened. Uh, John Paul, Pope John Paul II, um, uh, cut the waiting time, which is now five years, and he cut it, and the cause for Mother Teresa's beatification was opened within two years of her death. So, you know, she died in 1997, this is 2016, and she's about to be declared a saint of the church. So it's been a very quick process. And there's been questions raised about that, and, you know, people have to be aware that those types of questions will be covered in the media over the next couple of weeks. At the same time, then, there was also people that had a lot of opposition to Mother Teresa. And some of the coverage you will see over the next couple of weeks is there's actually a very intense debate within India itself about who and the role of Mother Teresa. And there's actually, in the Indian government at the moment, there is a huge debate about whether or not the Prime Minister should attend the canonization ceremony in Rome. Because there is a certain viewpoint within a small segment of Indian society that's, you know, takes an extreme Hindu nationalist approach. And they see Christian um, proselytizing and conversions as impinging on Indian culture and society. And they see this is what Mother Teresa was doing. Now, there's arguments for and against, did Mother Teresa do that? Some say she did, some say she didn't. Some she said she did it by the witness of her life. And that's something that we're all called to do as Christians, mm. you know, by the love that they show that, you you know, you'll know that they are Christian. So that is that that element of the whole canonization process is coming up. And then, of course, there's the whole, you know, in certain quarters of society, Mother Teresa is very much seen as kind of a bet noir. She's seen very much as conservative and traditional because she was a woman of her age and her generation. And she very much stood by the teachings of the church. So when she came to Ireland, for example, at that time, she spoke about abortion. She spoke about euthanasia, the damage that they were doing to this human society and her opposition to it. And, you know, you know, there would be people that will say, well, you know, she was reactionary and she was out of touch and all the rest of it. But that was that was her. That's who she was. That's why she's a saint of the church, because she was a loyal daughter of the church and, you know, and 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 stood up for the teachings of the church in that regard, which are very much counter in uh, indicative to the society that we live in today. The, the, the celebration, of course, will be the 4th of September. I'm fairly sure, John, it'll probably be shown on EWTN, although we don't know just yet whether or not that is... The, uh, we don't have the, the, the listing just yet. I don't yet. have the listings yet, but I reckon yeah, it will, yeah. It, it probably will, because it's going to be a huge celebration. And it's going to be one of the key events for Pope Francis in this Jubilee of Mercy. And, you know, so it's... it's I suppose one thing to remember, I suppose, is if we, you know, to close out this section of the programme, John, we talk about, and Lorraine mentioned it, this whole idea of quenching Jesus's thirst. And for Mother Teresa, that was the purpose in founding her religious society, but also, I suppose, in terms of, for all of us, if we were to say, well, you know, looking at this day and age, when a saint is made, what does that mean for 
Joe and Mary public mm-hmm. in the pews. You know, we're not all going to go off and form religious orders. We're not all going to go off and you know work on the streets of Calcutta. But for each of us, I suppose, if we interact with these, our celestial guides, our friends up there, they're held up as role models for us in terms of living out our Christian vocation in life, whatever that might be. And, you know, Teresa, Mother Teresa said, you know, that in terms of her, you know, for them and for her society, that the reason for their existence is to quench the thirst of Jesus Christ. When he asked for water, the soldier gave him vinegar to drink. But his thirst was for love, for souls, for you and me. And, you know, it's it's a beautiful idea kind of for us to think about as we prepare to celebrate the canonization of Mother Teresa and celebrate with the missionaries of charity. You know, he asked for water, but the, so- the soldier gave him vinegar to drink. But his thirst was for love, for souls, for you and for me. Shane, thank you so much for that. So at this stage, we might go for a second little piece of music. And this one I've taken from James Coban's album, Life's a Miracle. And this one is entitled Ticket Home, and I'd invite listeners to listen to the, to the words of this. Across from the Greyhound station, a young man sipped his coffee, staring out the cafe window at an old man in the rain. Traveling back beside him, rain pouring off his hat brim. The buses came and went, but the old man stayed. The young man walked up to him, said, Mister, can I help you? Then heard a tale of woe from that old man. Said he lost his ticket and was down on his. The young man smiled and handed him two twenties and ten Here's your ticket home, you can put your mind to rest now You got friends and family waiting at the end of the road in good time Wondering as he lay there If he'd see those pearly gates Then suddenly from nowhere The old man stood beside him Rain poured off his hat brim Just like it did that day The old man held a Bible To twenties and a ten And a greyhound to keep brown and frayed with age Said once you helped a stranger And son it was not forgotten Heaven never lets one single act of kindness go unpaid Here's your ticket home You can put your mind to rest now You've got friends and family waiting At the end of the road in good time time. We might even meet again Until then 
Sacred Space.